John chapter 6, verses 37. All that the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. As we were singing that last song, as we come as we are, God calls us to him. We don't work to a point where we can arrive. We can come as we are, as he calls us. So let's remember that this morning. Good morning. My name is Garrett. I'm the youth pastor here, and I've got a couple announcements for you. There's some things going on. And uh, if you haven't checked through your bulletin, i got a couple highlights. Um, baptism is a big deal. Uh, <laughs> and it's not one of those places you arrive at either. right? As we're called, as we see in Scripture, this is a thing where we come and we declare that we have been called. We declare that we have made that decision to follow Christ. And so if you're interested in baptism here when you are baptized, you also become part of the membership. That means you get a vote. That means you get a little bit of a say. This place becomes your home, your family in a deeper way, and you get to be involved in that sense. So if you're interested, please contact the office uh, or contact a staff member. If you see them, we'll get you connected. And uh, a couple other things. we got a campfire this Wednesday at 6.30. It's, it says family campfire on the website if you check, but it's, it's for anybody. Anybody can come, 6.30. We're probably going to go in the parking lot because I couldn't find a park that would let us burn uh, multiple or big fires. There's a parents meeting Thursday at 7 o'clock in the library for Kingdom Kids. So if you have kids who are, you know, grade 6 and under, that meeting's for you. Please go there and uh, on Thursday at 7 p.m. And at this time, we'll dismiss the kids to the fellowship hall if they are still here. There are some here. Okay. Head on out. Um. <laughs> you're a big kid. You're going to hang out with us, eh? <laughs> you, you can go this way. You can use this door. You can use that door. It's option paralysis is too many, too many options. There you go. Ah, you got to love it. Oh, it's so good. Okay. Um, <laughs> allow me to pray as we continue our service. God, we thank you that we can, we can come to you, that there isn't some kind of uh, standard we have to meet before we are drawn to you, before we can um, come to you. And God, that you do the work to change us. God, that it's not an effort we have to make solely on our own. And God, we thank you for that. God, as we uh, hear from Mark's uh, sermon this morning, God, as we hear from your word, I pray that our minds would be transformed. God, that you would conform us um, to your son, Holy Spirit, that you would change us and draw us to you. God, and that in all things you would be glorified. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. There we go. Ah, there. Ah, good morning. Turn with me to the 29th chapter of the book of Jeremiah uh, this morning because, oh, uh, no laughing, Lisa. Shh. Thank you. 
<laughs> uh, we're going to continue this morning looking at the idea of lament. Uh, and this morning, we're more specifically going to look at the idea of how do we learn to actually keep on living uh, when there's lamenting in, happening in our lives? Uh, how do we go on just living after times of great sorrow? And to do that, I come to this passage, Jeremiah 29, verses 4 to 13, uh, in what I think might be one of the most familiar, but also probably one of the misquoted and misunderstood passages in the entire Bible. Uh, we're going to read from Jeremiah 29, verses 4, um, all the way to 13, maybe part of 14 this morning. So you can follow along as I read that. It says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, just give me once again courage and strength as we look at your word this morning and as we just share our hearts with one another. And Lord, we are, it's a difficult topic, speaking of sorrow and loss and grief and pain and lament. But Lord, these are things that are real in all of our lives. Um, help us not to overlook them, uh, but Lord, to fix our eyes upon you as we work through them. And Lord, I just pray that you would speak to us this morning in a very powerful way uh, through me. Uh, that your Holy Spirit would be among us, just touching our lives, encouraging our hearts, and leading us into truth uh, that helps us to live again. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning I want to begin in a very personal way, uh, more personal than probably usual, and I want to do that by telling you part of my story. And it's not an exciting story, it's not an adventure worthy of Hollywood, and you probably could tell your own story as well as I could. Uh, it's just that I know my story best. And I'm not going to take you back to the very beginning like, you know, I was born at a young age kind of thing, but I'm going to tell you the part that matters the most for us today. I'm going to tell you about the loss of my wife, Kathy. Kathy and I first met at Camp Caroline when we were kids, um, grade eight. Uh, we had this little summer fling, as only junior high kids can have, which you know, at that age, consisted of mostly trying to sit by each other at campfire and giving piggybacks, uh, which she gave to me, which was a long time ago. 
Um, but you know, after camp was over, we exchanged addresses. Kathy wrote me several letters, all of which I put in a nice box and saved. And uh, probably just a tip to junior high boys out there, if a cute girl writes you a letter, uh, make an effort to write her back, because if you end up marrying that girl one day, you're going to hear about it if you don't. Um, but we lived in different cities. So after that summer at camp, life kind of went on for both of us. Until that kind of divine moment, when we both found ourselves once again working at Camp Caroline as staff members one summer. And I, we remembered each other right away. I remembered her smile and her laugh, and she remembered I never wrote back any letters. Um, but when summer was over, we had sort of seen enough in each other that we decided there was a spark that could lead to something more. And one of us sort of jumped in with both feet because after one date, Kathy packed up her entire life in Calgary and moved to Edmonton to be closer to me. And our love grew and, you know, we got married after I graduated from seminary. We took our first church in Innisfail together and eventually, you know, we welcomed four amazing kids. And things were really good, pretty good, tiring as ministry and kids can be, but, but good. But then came the fall of 2009. We just moved to Sherwood Park to take on a new church, and it was then that Kathy found a lump in her breast. That's when the doctors confirmed it was cancer. By November, we were going for a mastectomy, and by January of that next year, we were undergoing chemotherapy. And I don't know if you've been sort of through that kind of thing in your life, but it's one of those times when you don't even really have time to think. You're just reacting. You have so many appointments, so many things to do. It's just this one thing to the next thing to the next thing. But we did get through it. And after all of that, Kathy got the all clear from the doctors. And we thought maybe that life would finally settle down. And you know, by the time that Abram, our youngest, was sort of into grade school, Kathy had kind of found a second wind. Uh, she was talking about, you know, going back to recertifying so she could work as an RN. And, you know, she was dreaming again about, you know, what might be. And she was not so much dwelling on the past and what she had lost. But then in fall 2014, after a fairly routine screening, we got the news that the cancer was back. And it was only six months after the last scan that she had, but it had already spread into her lungs and her liver and her lymph nodes and even into the bones of her pelvis and her spine. Well, that began a series of treatments. And I'd like to say that each was worse than, you know, the one before, but truth is they started out pretty awful to begin with. Um... The hormone therapy basically crippled her, transformed her body into that of a 90-year-old menopausal grandma. And then when that stopped working, we were on oral chemotherapy, which left her bedridden and nauseous most of the time. And then when that stopped working, we began intravenous chemo and radiation. And over those years, I could see her getting weaker and weaker. But I didn't really want to face that. Uh, there's even a moment I remember when I was at our family doctor's and he actually took me aside and just said, you know, you need to prepare yourself to lose your wife. And I remember being mad at him in that moment, thinking, like, who are you to say, you know, what's going to happen? But then came the Easter weekend of 2017. Kathy was actually having one of her good days. She even made it out to the church's Good Friday service. But by Sunday, she woke up with more pain than usual, so she just stayed home from the Easter service. 
By Monday morning, we were waiting in the emergency department, followed by emergency surgery, and by Tuesday, she was gone. And I remember just weeping. The, the, the sounds that came out of my body, I didn't know were sounds that I could make. And I guess I, wonder, I remember wondering in that moment, just how did my life end up in this place? This place that you never expected to be. As you looked at your life and got married and dreamed dreams, and you ask yourself questions like, like, what am I supposed to do now? Can I even go on? And if so, how? How, how do I go on living again? But that's what brings me to this passage we have before us this morning. Because at that time, I'd actually been reading through the book of, of Jeremiah in my personal Bible time. And I'd taken a few days off, actually, with all the activity of Easter that gets really busy in a pastor's house. And then Kathy got sick. So I hadn't got to it for a few days, but after Kathy died, I remember getting out of bed because I couldn't sleep, and I was sitting in my chair. I picked up my Bible, and the passage that I came to as the very next passage that I was supposed to read in the book of Jeremiah was this one. It was Jeremiah 29. It was waiting for me. And you may be familiar with at least some of this passage, especially, you know, that most famous verse, Jeremiah 29, verse 11. In the NIV, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. I mean, that's a verse that's on magnets, fridge magnets all over North America. And most people, when they hear a verse like that, they say, yes, God has a wonderful plan for my life. God wants to bless me. God wants my life to be awesome. But that's not the context. It wasn't the context for my life, and it wasn't the context for which it was originally written. Because those words were written about 597 B.C. And the city of Jerusalem had just been captured and looted by the armies of Babylon. And they had taken thousands of prisoners as slaves, and they had hauled them back to live in Babylon, including the king and the court officials and the craftsmen. In fact, uh, if you look at Jeremiah 21, verse, 29, verse 1, it says, These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders, uh, uh, elders of the exiles, and the priests, and the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. And then in verse 4, it said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all of the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Those are the people that God is writing these words to. They're exiles. Now just try to put yourself for a moment in the position of those who are originally receiving this message. I mean, you had just lost everything in your life that mattered to you. Your city had been overrun by your enemies. Your home, your possessions, your material goods, everything you had to your name is now in the hands of someone else. Your friends and their family probably, likely, had been killed by either siege or by sword. And then you're taken as a slave. You're now property. You're the property of someone else. You don't have rights. You don't have value. You don't have any other recourse. And you're dragged to live as a prisoner in a foreign land for what may be the rest of your days. Now, in that moment, imagine someone coming up to you and saying, wow, God must have such a wonderful plan for your life. 
He'd probably think that person was crazy if he didn't punch them right in the mouth. But that's where these people were. These were people who had lost everything, people living with regret, people who were angry, people who were hurting, people who were lamenting this great loss and this great sorrow in their lives. They weren't people who were, you know, living the good life in the garden of paradise. These were people in pain who didn't want to be in the place that God had put them. And there were people who were likely asking those same questions I did. What do we do now? Where do we go from here? How, how do we go on? And maybe you're in a place like that too this morning. Maybe you know exactly what I'm talking about when I, when I say those words. Maybe you are asking those very same questions yourself. But you know, even if you're not, I know with COVID, so many of us are probably at least thinking something like, I wish life could just go back to the way it was. I don't want to live like this. I don't want to have to face these challenges that I didn't choose to be a part of. And there's almost among us sort of this disbelief that, that it actually happened. I mean, two years ago, we couldn't even imagine that we'd be in this place where Imagine that the government would lock us up in our homes and pass laws that would separate us from those we love. I mean, those are things we heard about happening in third world countries, under dictators, not here in Canada, the true north, strong and free. But I think many of us would look at the world right now and think, life's not supposed to be like this. But as I began to read the words of this chapter, Jeremiah 29, after I lost my wife, what I began to understand is that God does have a message he wants people to hear. A message I think that God offers to anyone who is hurting. This passage literally is God sending his hurting people a message about how to go on living in hard times living even if they have to do it in the midst of lament. Because God's message to his people is that you need to find a way to live again. Because look at our passage, beginning in verse 5. God says, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there." Do not decrease. And seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. God begins his message to these people by telling them, you can't put your life on hold indefinitely. You can't just go to this place and be in this place and just curl up in a ball and pretend that life is still not happening all around you. Because look at all the things that God is talking about here. He talks about the honest work of your hands. He talks about the food to eat. He talks about a place to live. He talks about marrying off your kids. And at first, those may seem like such simple things, but the more you look at them, the more you realize those are the things that life is really about. Life is about taking a house and making it into a home. It's about taking a job and turning it into a fulfilling career. It's about taking your neighbors and forming a true community. It's about watching your family grow. I mean, no matter who you are, those are the things where some of the best blessings in, blessings in life are often found. And this sermon's going to be just a bit different this morning. 
Um, probably more testimonial than most of my sermons, but these are just really some lessons that I learned as I took this passage to heart after the loss of my wife. And I wanted to make it very practical teaching this morning, so I'm just going to give you applications that I want to point you to from these verses, and there's going to be lots of them before I'm done, but these are things that I think can help any of us learn to live, even as we lament. And the first thing that I really learned from this passage is Basically, you have to learn to bloom where you're planted. You kind of have to accept where God puts you. And when my wife died, I could spend all day wishing that things were different, but none of my wishes would change the fact that this is my life now. And wherever you find yourself today, you need to find a way to just make the most of it. You can't shut down. You can't give up. You have to do all you can to heal. Do all you can to begin to thrive again. Do all you can even to start being a blessing to others. Just because you're in a bad place doesn't mean you cannot try to make the most of it and even seek the best for others and yourself. And again, I think a big part of that is perspective. Instead of just sort of wallowing in pity about what you've lost, God tells us there's still, look at all the stuff that is still available to you. There are still opportunities for joy. But we need to be intentional if we're going to take hold of them. We need to make an effort to bloom where we're planted and accept accept the place that God has put us. And then the second thing I think these verses remind us of is just the importance of friends and family as we're going through hardship. You know, God in this passage, he mentions sons and daughters. He mentions wives and husbands. He mentions marriage and children and grandchildren. And those relationships matter, especially when things are hard. You know, when we get down, we so often react by isolating ourselves. You know, we don't want people to see us in pain, so we pull away. But you know what? Instead of retreating from people like so many people do, try reaching out instead to the people you love. You know, under the surface of all of our lives lurks the pains and struggles of living in a fallen world. All of us. Every one of us carries a burden. But the Bible tells us it's not a burden we have to carry alone. Charles Spurgeon used to say, friendship is one of the sweetest joys of life. Many might have fallen or failed beneath the bitterness of their trial had they not found a friend. Friends and family and even the church are so essential when we're going through hardship. Surround yourself with people who love you and reach out to them in your heart and you're in that hard place. Then a third application I would give you here, and this may be reading into the text a little bit, I'll admit that, but it's also something I think is so important when we're going through a lamenting time. And that is make sure to take care of your health and make healthy choices. You know, often in church we focus on spiritual health of people, but physical health and mental health and even emotional health are also essential. And it can be so easy to just self-destruct when you're discouraged and just, you know, I just want to sit on the couch and drown my sorrows in ice cream. But this verse talks about healthy things. It talks about putting your hands to work, doing something fruitful, you know, having a meaningful occupation. And that's so important to our mental well-being. It talks about eating the fruit of your garden, you know, eating well, a good diet. That's so important. This passage talks about maintaining healthy relationships with your family. It talks about finding ways to be part of a community. 
And I would even add something here like getting exercise, going to see your doctor for checkups, and even making sure you get enough rest. Those things matter. And those things are things that are so easy to overlook when you're going through a crisis. This passage, it really is pointing us in the direction of, of a healthy lifestyle, a balanced lifestyle. And I know when Kathy passed away, I had a friend who would actually come over a couple times a week and, uh, well, take me for a forced walk, I guess, because I never wanted to go. Um, but he'd always get come and he'd just, we're going for a walk. And we did. And I'm so thankful he did because as I look back now, I realize how important that was. When you're grieving or hurting or facing difficulties, you have to make sure you make healthy choices. And then a fourth thing we can't overlook in this passage. And that's the need to forgive when forgiveness is necessary. It's the need to let go of grudges we might be holding on to. Because it can be really easy to hold on to anger when things go wrong. It can be really easy to hold grudges against someone who you think has wronged you. It can be really easy to look to blame others in your sorrow, especially, again, if they've truly hurt you. But you know what? Look at verse 7. God says to these people, Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. Do you know how big a request that is? Because keep in mind that the people of Israel had been imprisoned and enslaved and exiled by the people in Babylon. Babylon was their enemy. But God says pray for those people and pray for their welfare. Ask God to do good for those who have treated you bad. And that's huge. And that means letting go, letting go of, of your grudges, letting go of your need for vengeance, letting go of your desire to see that other person suffer. If I were to ask you here this morning, who in your life would be hard for you to pray for? Who in your life would you, if God said pray for that person, you'd say, God, no, anybody but them. You need to pray for that person. Pray for their good, pray for their, and, and forgive them. Because unforgiveness in our hearts only ends up hurting ourselves and prolonging our pain. In order to heal and live again, we need to learn to forgive those who have hurt us. And that leads us to verse 8 of this passage. It says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets or your diviners who are among you deceive you, do not listen to their dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. And you know, as I was thinking through those verses this week, I recognized something, and I almost hate to say it, but something I recognize in my own life is every time I start feeling optimistic about life lately, I realize I haven't listened to the daily news in a few days. Is that, is that crazy? Because so much of what we hear lately is negative. It's doom and gloom. It's worst case scenario. It's experts telling us we're all doomed. It's, it's, it's so much fear. And those messages can get you down. And back in Jeremiah's day, you know, the message was a bit different. But the result was the same. The message of these false prophets 
It was a message that was keeping people stuck from getting on with their lives. The message was keeping people stuck in their pain, stuck in their fear, stuck hoping in something that was actually never going to come. They were offering these people false hope. So here's another lesson we learn. And this, I think, is again a timely one. And that's it. In the hour of crisis, where we get our truth matters. And these verses contrast for us the difference between the lies of the world versus the truth of God. One is empty and worthless. One is the words of life itself. One leads us astray. One leads us to God. One keeps us stuck in fear and pain and disappointment. And the other ultimately leads us to a place of healing and freedom. We need the truth of God in our pain. And I can't tell you how many times since Kathy died that I had to go back and remind myself of God's truth. Remind myself of his love, of his goodness, of his faithfulness, and just spend time in God's word. Because hurting people need to hear the truth of God. And it's God's truth that will truly help us live again. But getting to that place where we feel like we're living again doesn't happen quickly. Uh, And that's where we look at verse 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill you to you my promise and bring you back to this place. And I think the lesson we learn here is patience. You know, the promise uh, to, of God to Israel in that hour was that in 70 years, he would restore them and take them back home. But keep in mind, in 70 years, most of the people hearing that promise would be long dead. So as much as God's promises never fail, we also can't rush God's timing. And that's not always an easy lesson, especially in our world today where that expects easy answers and instant results. I've said this before, but I mean, we're used to instant coffee, fast food, microwave dinners, drive-through ATMs, pre-made everything. We live in a just-add-water, you know, no-waiting kind of world. So if you can't cure it by taking a pill, People, people often think that's too much work. It's too long to wait. And people get frustrated. But in learning to live with lament, there's no quick fix. And healing takes time. And there's a need to be patient. And there's a need for endurance. I mean, when Kathy died, I didn't want to face it. I wanted, I wanted to feel better right away. But, you know, it still took me weeks before I even felt like getting out of bed. And it was a long journey back to this place that I'm at today. And even now, I'm not completely better. And you may have heard the saying, you know, time heals all words, but it's not, all wounds, but it's not true. God heals all wounds. But God's healing often takes time, and it just, it can't be rushed. We need to learn to be patient and wait on the Lord for his timing. And that brings us to verse 11. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord's plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And again, I think when most people read that, they likely get the picture in their head of, you know, super happy fun time. You know, sunshine, lollipops, and rainbows everywhere. God wants my life to be so great. Because often people focus, focus on the prospering part of that verse. Uh, plans to prosper you is probably the most famous translation. But it's not a great one. Because the word there 
is based on the Hebrew word for shalom. And it's really more the idea of peace. It's an idea of stillness or calmness of your soul. It's the idea of wholeness, not wealth. It's not about promising wealth and happiness. It's God's really offering people healing and hope. Um, I guess what I would like to say is, you know, that verse is not God saying to people, congratulations, you won the lottery. It's really more God sending his people a get well soon card. And even though these words are given to a very specific people in a very specific time and place in history, I still think that God's message to hurting people is that you don't have to be broken forever. And oftentimes we need to be reminded of that, reminded of that hope. You know, when you're grieving or you're facing loss, sometimes it's impossible to see anything but your own pain. It's impossible to imagine anything for your life other than the sorrows you're going through in that moment. But this is a reminder, lament doesn't have to be the end. It's a reminder that healing is possible. It's a reminder that even though we feel like at times our lives have you know, smashed into a brick wall of, of sorrow and our lives are wrecked beyond you know, repair, it's a reminder that God can still do a work in our lives that will allow us to go on. Because we do have hope. You know, hope is the other part thing that's mentioned in this verse. And as Christians, we should always be holding on to that hope. As Christians, we should never get to a place where we feel like we have nothing left because we always have our hope in Christ. And our hope in Christ will not fail us. Even when we face trials, even though we're going through that furnace of suffering at times, even when our dreams have crumbled, even then Christ makes the difference because he is our hope. And we can trust God's word, we can trust his goodness, we can trust his promises, and we can hold on to our hope, knowing that God will bring healing in our lives in time. But to do that well, we need the advice of these last few verses. Uh, verses 12. It says, Then when you call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you, and you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart, and I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And to me, this promise is probably the most important thing to remember in our pain. That we can find God even in our hurting. That God can be found even in a place of great sorrow. And that God will be present with us and he will be real to us even when we suffer and when we're afraid, if we will seek him out. Because I've said this before, but it's not in escaping our problems that brings our life peace. It's recognizing that God is with us even in our problems. That's where real peace is found. In fact, some of you may know that the most repeated commandment in the entire Bible that God gives to his people is the command to do not fear. Be not afraid. Fear not. But what most of you might not know is that overwhelmingly the reason that God says don't be afraid is that he reminds us that he's with us. Deuteronomy 31 verse 6, God says, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you, and he will not leave you or forsake you. Isaiah 41.10, God says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. 
Psalm 23, verse 4, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6, God has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we can say confidently, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. And those words let us know that God is not indifferent to our pain. God is not apathetic to our circumstance. He's not tuned out when we're going through grief. Just the opposite. God goes out of his way to let us know it is in the midst of our suffering. That is exactly where he can be found. That God walks with us. That he shares in our pain with us. And those words really opened my eyes. That my suffering and my grief did not mean that God was distant or uncaring. That my suffering meant that God loved me and he was actually giving me a chance to grow closer to him. Even if it meant growing closer in my pain. And I want this to let this truth speak deeply to us all this morning. Because again, it can be so easy when suffering comes into our life to, to play the victim. It can be easy to give up. And it can be easy to just start think we are what we're suffering. That I'm a cancer patient. Or I'm a widow. Or I have COVID. But hear this clearly. You are not your suffering. And your suffering does not and should not define you. Because you are first and foremost a child of God. That's who you are. And nothing is ever going to change that. And God is never going to leave you alone. And we can go on living because God is with us. Even when we lament, we can find a way to live again because when we seek God, he will be found in our, in our sorrow. And you know, looking at all these things we've talked about this morning, I guess it's no surprise that God actually some of, some of his greatest work in our lives through our pain. And whether it's your story or it's my story this morning, God's plan for your life, for my life, may not be what you thought it was going to be. God's plan may not be what you hoped it would be. But God's plan is always, always, always the best. Even if we don't understand it at the time, even if we never would have chosen this path for ourselves, we can still hold on to the truth that God is with us and God is still for us. And that we can trust in his purposes even in our pain. We can trust in his plans even when we feel lost. And we can trust God's presence even when we feel alone and afraid. And with God, we can keep on going, keep on living, even as we face that pain. I just want to close this morning with words that you probably know fairly well. I probably actually read them before, but I think they summarize much of what I'm trying to say this morning. In a poem called Footprints. It says, one night a man had a dream. He dreamed he was walking along the beach with the Lord. And across the sky flashed scenes from his life. From each scene, he noticed two sets of footprints in the sand, one belonging to him and the other to the Lord. When the last scene of his life flashed before him, he looked back at the footprints in the sand. He also noticed that it happened uh, he also noticed that many times along the path of his life, there was only one set of footprints. And he noticed that it happened at the very lowest and saddest times in his life. And this really bothered him, and he questioned the Lord about it. And he said, Lord, 
You said that once I decided to follow you, you'd walk with me all the way. But I have noticed during the most troublesome times in my life, there's only one set of footprints. I don't understand why when I needed you the most, you would leave me. But the Lord replied, my son, my precious child, I love you and I never would leave you. During your times of trial and suffering, when you see only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you this morning for these words of encouragement, these words of hope, and these words of life that speak to our lives even in those times when we're hurting. And Lord, there's times when we all find ourselves in that place, that place that we never expected we would be, that place we never wanted to be, that place where we are facing at times overwhelming sorrow and loss and pain. But Lord, we know that you speak to us when we're in that place. And you speak words of hope. You speak words of healing. You speak words of purpose and promise. And you speak words of belonging. And that, Lord, you show us and you empower us and you come along beside us to help us keep going and to help us learn to live again. And Lord, if there's anyone here who's in that place, Lord, may they fix their eyes on you and seek you with all of their heart this morning. And may they find you. And in finding you, may they find comfort and encouragement and truth and hope and healing. And may they find all that they need to keep on going as they live even in those times of deep lament in our lives. We thank you for who you are and for carrying us all the way. In Jesus' name, amen.